Hello, and welcome once again to episode 14 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name, once again, is Dimitri, and I'll be your host for this episode. And I'm joined uh, today by my fellow completionists, Spencer. Hey there. And Ben. Hey, hey. So before we begin, Apple has yet another event planned uh, for us on Tuesday. One more thing, as they call it, with a period. So that means it's the last thing of the year. Uh, and they're certainly not going to announce anything else after that. Uh, so we thought we might go around and make some quick uh, and probably obvious at this point uh, predictions uh, as far as what they are going to announce. So Spencer, what do you think is coming on Tuesday? Well, as the rumors state, it will, it should be something like uh, three new MacBooks, I believe um, two 13-inch MacBook Pros and a 16-inch, if, if I remember correctly. Um, I think it's an, an and, Air, a Pro, and then the big Pro, oh, I think, were the predictions. Gotcha. Okay, so an Air, a 13 MacBook Pro, and a 16 MacBook yeah. Pro. Um, and then they, I also saw that someone had found some benchmark results of the A14Z chip, I believe, mm -hmm. or X. So that's interesting. Um, and apparently uh, the, the single core score there was, you know, about the same as the A14 chip that are in the iPad Air the new iPhones. Uh, however, the multi-core score was significantly higher. I want to say almost double uh, the the score of an iPhone 12 Pro. So uh, it seems like there's quite a bit more thermal headroom there, which is pretty cool yeah. and exciting. Um, it, what's, what's crazy to me is uh, uh, I believe someone was saying that that's the first Apple chip to uh clock over 3.2 gigahertz which you know clock is clock speed is everything but um it's you know it, people are saying that it's going to be more or less uh comparative to the Intel i9 chips that are in MacBook Pros today and so if that's the case uh you know I don't know how they're doing it but Apple silicon is is pretty crazy because I I believe that it's also only an eight core chip and half of those cores are like the, you know, the little, like the low or the, uh, what high, it efficiency high, high efficiency, not, not high, low efficiency. Performance, high efficiency, right? High efficiency. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, and in that just creates this whole other thing is of like, okay, well, if you've really only got four cores that are powerful, you know, power, power cores, then you know, when you start throwing in more chips later down the line, I'm not sure if it would be for this event by any means, but, um, you know, how many cores would they get up to in order to have something like a Mac Pro eventually if they don't pull a one more thing in a one more in this one more thing event or something <laughs> like that, right? So it's super exciting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know uh, more than that. I'm not assuming you know, air tags or anything. I think it's probably just going to be Apple Silicon from, from everything that I've heard. Yeah. Something that seems and, to and be pretty clear from their last couple events is that, is that they're, because they're pre-recorded, because they're more focused, they don't seem to be pulling any too much in the way of like, Oh, by the way, here's a whole thing that's totally unrelated to the things we're already, you, you knew that we were presenting. Um, we're going to do those separately. Yeah. So that's, that's, I guess, good in the sense that we do we probably won't be surprised you know like surprised by stuff but i guess also bad if you like that idea if you like being surprised with yeah. weird <laughs> new things 
I guess they're not and, able to get that like live reaction yeah, that maybe right. <laughs> encourages them to do that right. or something. And and you said that they're going to have single core performance, which is the same as the current A14, as if that's something boring, which <laughs> no, is yeah, like... No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's like already way faster than anything that is currently available as a Mac and kind of available as a PC as well, unless you are really yeah. into overclocking to five, six gigahertz. Sure. Uh, regularly to push those uh, performance numbers. Something I thought that was really interesting as far as rumor is that because of the potentially the way they're going to package this thing and because the the room afforded to them in the case allows, like you said, for a sort of a wider thermal envelope of being able to run these things you know, at a higher yeah. performance level than like in an iPhone, is that there's a chance that we could end up with, like, let's say, a MacBook Air um, that is fanless. And therefore, you know, yeah. completely oh. silent pretty much all the time. Uh, so think basically an iPad, uh, like a 12.9-inch iPad Pro, but sort of with that traditional like laptop form factor where you have the keyboard and the, the trackpad and everything all integrated. Um, and uh, and potentially... And it beats the MacBook Pros. Yeah, an even bigger... <laughs> yeah. yeah, an even, yeah <laughs> an even bigger battery because there's a lot more room in the case in a case design like that than an iPad Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also heard rumors that maybe that touch could be something that is introduced for the first time uh, because if you look at Big Sur, um, which yeah. they have... So they have um, uh, pushed a, what, 11.0.1, I want to say, is now the beta... Uh, version of, of Big Sur that's available for testing. And it's, in, interestingly, the 11.0 was not available, kind of like how they didn't make 12.1 available, or sorry, uh, 14.1 of, 14? Yeah. 14.1 available um, for uh, the iPhone, and that's because 14.1 was the version of the firmware that ran on the new iPhones and therefore had all the new iPhone hardware features baked in. So the thinking is that 11.0 might be the same way for Big Sur. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the design of Big Sur, it is sort of more touch friendly i don't know that it's exactly designed for touch but it certainly is done in a way that might you know be more conducive. you can use it if you want it. yeah so so if they were yeah. going to uh, introduce touch as a new input method for mac um this is a play an inflection point at which they could do it although i have heard that kind of everyone is saying like don't expect really anything new from like a case design point of view the macbook air is going to look like macbook air the macbook pro is going to look like macbook pro they're not really going to you know invent a whole new form factor i mean not that they need to either but um if that's the case then then i'm guessing we're probably going to get basically the macbook air that you all know and love just running apple silicon running on arm right running in a way that uh hopefully will get us as good or maybe even better performance um and then maybe as good or better battery than the way that it is now uh and i I think even if that's all they accomplish i think that'll be a big accomplishment yeah. And I don't know if it's significant or not, but I don't remember if this was done in the past where the invitation was actually on the developer feed. So yeah. if you have a developer account, mm. you get emails about developer news. Uh, and I have an account that gets no other emails other than that. So I, I was curious as to why I was getting an invitation to an Apple event through that uh, account. Um, and I don't I don't remember them doing that for anything else. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting that they're definitely wanting the developer community uh, to watch this, um, possibly because they'll be making new apps, yeah. uh, both iPhone and or iOS, I should say, uh, and macOS apps are, can now run on Big Sur. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be an exciting slash very interesting uh, time forward so, for the future yeah. of the Mac. Does anybody here have any plans to buy anything that gets announced? 
Probably not. Um, it's I, a good hedge. It's I a mean, good hedge. <laughs> probably not. And honestly, it's probably more because of money than it is like I don't necessarily trust what it's going to be. Yeah. But for me, it's like uh, I don't know. I have work machine. Like I have a work machine. I have too many Hackintoshes <laughs> that I don't even use. So it's they all just kind of sit here until, yeah. of course, they become unusable uh eventually but um one thing that i also think is interesting is um like you said ben uh, you know i wouldn't expect the 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 chassis to be hardly any different at all which is fine i think um honestly like with the the change of the keyboard and everything um apple has a good formula USB-C is, you know, fairly commonplace now. It's not, it's a little bit of a pain, uh, you know, but it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, for me, if I had to guess, I would say that touch may not be a thing on these ones yeah. or at the very least on the pros or something like that. I don't know. They might test Ooh, it on. That would be an interesting development <laughs> that it's only on the pros. Yeah. I don't know. It's a I very mean, Apple I know thing that, to do yeah. nowadays. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know that a bunch of you know Windows users they they love their their touch and they'll they'll pull an Android and just say oh well we've had that for years but if Apple's going to do it and I probably think that they will in the in the near ish future mm-hmm. with Big Sur yeah because like you say the icons are larger control center all that stuff is is very much you know just it looks touchy yeah. if that makes sense plus with running iOS uh, apps very, on it like people are going to be exactly used to using that app with touch right so they're going to be like why can't exactly. i touch this so yeah yeah i mean it even took me some time to get used to like using the simulator with the trackpad <laughs> right. when i first yeah. started ios development so like yeah having you know users do that i can see there'd be a little frustration there yeah. so i don't know maybe uh maybe they could surprise us next week uh i i wouldn't necessarily bet on that too much how about uh, you dimitri do you have any uh purchase plans so no immediate purchase plans, but that always changes the day of the yeah, Apple event. Of course, so yeah. uh, who sure. who on earth knows uh, what I will uh, be wanting? I don't need it, right? It's for certain, right? Uh, but what I will be wanting, um, I do have like I don't know when they're going to make me send it back, but I do have the hypothetical uh, Apple Silicon mm. machine mm-hmm. uh, that I'm not supposed to talk about, right? Uh, so I can still use that for testing. So I don't. I, once again, I don't need right. uh, an official uh, capacity one, and it remains to be seen whether. Uh, there will be trade-ins and things like that for uh, this generation of transition kit right. uh, mm-hmm. with regard to the past ones. Because if you don't know, uh, Apple did this before with the Apple Sil- uh, with the Intel transition, uh, and uh, they asked. It was a much more limited developer um, uh, uh, developer, which we call it program, mm-hmm. uh, a developer program last before. Uh, but basically, you can either get your money back for it, or you can traded in for a uh, middle-of-the-line iMac, uh, Intel iMac mm. of, of the time. That said, I, I am very curious to see, are there still going to be configuration options now? Yeah. Uh, because, yeah. like, I guess I guess you can choose between how much memory you need for the kind of workflow uh, that you'll be doing, but it's not like there's going to be five variations of the A14 that you can choose from. Right. Um, yeah. Because why would there need to be, right? Apple right. can just have their chip that they're proud of and... Right. That's the one that you get. Or GPU. Are there going to be... Right? Like, they're probably yeah. going to be integrated on the chip, so they don't... It's just you get what you get. Mm-hmm. 
or maybe you have two options like right. like baseline gpu or double the gpu yeah uh-huh. i know that what some things will do just or some uh you know other um computer part manufacturers will do is like they'll have you know they'll basically bin their parts so like the highest bin highest quality parts you know Maybe they work on all X amount of cores and then on some they don't quite meet that spec mm-hmm. and so they'll disable a few cores. So it's like the same chip, but you know, yeah. it's it's essentially they, harder software limited yeah. to not actually use they that. Did that with so the, that could be something that could happen. The A12, I want to say, like the A12Z or something like that was a chip. Oh, it was that's an eight right. core chip that the ones that like if let's say one of the cores was bad, um, rather than just chucking that that chip, they would they would allow that seven core chip to go through with that eighth core just not just disabled because it maybe it didn't pass yeah. action or whatever, but they could still, you know, yeah, use those, I think you're right. those SOCs anyway. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that's very common because the way they make these chips is it's essentially the opposite of a photograph. You just shine light onto a stencil and it prints your chip quote unquote. Um, and it's very easy for that to go wrong. Right. Uh, so mm-hmm. Uh, you just need like one little uh, speck of dust entering the light in between and like a whole section of that chip is toast. But because each section is kind of modular, you can turn things on and off. So uh, it's the same thing for screens. Like the reason why high density, large uh, screens are very expensive is because it's very hard to get one that doesn't have defects. For smaller screens, you can print what's done actually is you print out quite literally sometimes a large screen and you cut it. So that way you get areas that don't have any defects and you can discard the pieces with defects. So that's why smaller screens, you can get them in super high densities because it's easy to just keep the good parts. Whereas if you want a 27 or a 32 inch, then you have to be lucky to get one right. that doesn't have any uh, such defects. Now chips are insanely small, so it's easy to throw away tons of them uh, and uh, keep the ones that are good. Uh, and for larger chips, you have less chance, which makes them more expensive, uh, to get exactly what you need. So it'll be interesting to see if they do bin. Um, it'll be also interesting to see how often they update. Is just yeah. Is this just going to be yearly now? It's like oh, we need to wait for the iPhone to get new Macs. Um, That's true. Or is it just going to be something where we're on the same A14 generation, but oh, mid-year we have a version with two more cores. Yeah. Like, is that mm-hmm. something that Apple's going to be doing? Uh, because they kind of did used to do that. Anytime there was a new CPU, they did a refresh until mm-hmm. Intel stopped having new CPUs um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> regularly. So I mean, the advantage here is if Apple keeps their cadence up, it, it, it's it kind of on balance will be an improvement because uh, even year once a year is better than kind of the you know the recent performance of Intel. <laughs> once every three. Yeah. So, yes. so even that'll yeah, be an improvement. Like, the Mac Mini wasn't updated into like since 2018 yeah it went a super long and, time yeah, yeah from 2014 to 18 so there's lots yeah. of opportunity there and it's going to be very interesting to see how apple carries this forward uh for the most part mm-hmm. um what about you ben are you planning on buying anything uh so i kind of have my eye on a macbook air um i have i I, depending on, I guess, who you ask, I was either very smart or very stupid to buy an, a 5K iMac maybe like two months ago. Um, it was right after they upgraded the, the 20, late 2020 iMacs. So I, I got uh, got in right after that upgrade. The, probably the last, uh, I, I would guess, probably the last iMac Intel, uh, you know, one that they make. Um, but I wanted a solid development machine 
and and I also really didn't want to rely primarily, you know, for development on a brand new Apple Silicon architecture and stuff. So and I wanted the big screen and all that kind of stuff. So I traded mm-hmm. in my butterfly keyboard MacBook Pro for a uh, this Mac this iMac and I love it. It's I, I think it'll be a great machine for several years. I don't really have any complaints. Um, I upgraded the RAM in it so it's nice and fast. It's it's I got like kind of the I think sort of like the top tier twenty seven with like the mid tier specs. So like the of the three you can pick from, I pick like the the high end of the three sort of tiers, and then I pick like middle of the road like specs, sort of custom specs on that. So it's a it's a solid machine that I think will last a long time. But I do actually miss having that portability of of the the thing, and I've kind of always uh, been a little jealous of people who get to carry a MacBook Air around because I've always had to buy Pros for development because they just and sure. they just didn't have the horsepower that I needed for Xcode. Um, but two things, right? I I don't need it for hardcore development all the time. It'd be great to run Xcode, and I would like to do development on it. But if it's you know if it's maybe not working for something, I can just go to my iMac, no big deal. And I'm also kind of hoping that the Apple Silicon will perform better in general compared to Intel. So it, it might mm-hmm. be the case that a, an Apple Silicon, Mac, I, or, sorry, um, MacBook Air, is just sort of head and shoulders better than its Intel counterpart and therefore doesn't suffer from some of the same issues. Um, so I'm, I've got my eye tentatively on, on uh, I actually traded, I, I sold my um, iPad Pro, um, which I wasn't using a ton, uh, sort of, and I've been kind of collecting those pennies to to put towards uh, a new MacBook Air, so we'll see what it looks like. We'll see what they actually announce. Um, I, Zero ports. Yeah, like I, yeah, <laughs> there could, wireless charging. There could be like serious <laughs> MagSafe downsides. <laughs> there you go. Or it could be that there there are issues around like it being first gen that I'm just like yeah, you know, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to bother with that. Um, so I might I might decide not to do anything. But um, I'm kind of. I would say I'm like on the fence. Like I'm interested, hopeful, uh, but but not sort of like I'm gonna buy whatever they announce. Like that's that's not necessarily happening. Mm-hmm. I gotta I want to see what they what they do. But if it works out well, I could end up with a, my first MacBook Air, which I I've always really liked the machine. Like I thought it was a really well built and nice machine. I just couldn't really use it for what I needed. But but the situation has changed. So maybe maybe it'll be a good kind of what they call like sort of couch portable computer. And it'll be interesting, too, to see if they bring in Thunderbolt 4 and yeah. if existing yeah. Thunderbolt devices will work on yeah. a completely different architecture. So a lot of stuff is very hardware-reliant, uh, like when we don't think about it because everything is Intel right. uh, nowadays, mm-hmm. but that might change big time. So it'll be very interesting to see. Like, USB stuff will probably just work because it's just protocol in the end. But PCIe, uh, it mm-hmm. talks directly to the CPU and, like, the individual devices rely on right. that that memory is in a certain format because right. they're directly accessing that same uh, that same uh, hardware that the CPU is accessing. So it'll be very interesting to see if Thunderbolt four comes, uh, if they stick to Thunderbolt three, if they go to PCIe four, uh, because then you have like huge CPU options that you can just plug into your little tiny MacBook Air if you wanted, yeah. uh, and have that facilitate in the whole process. Uh, to do all sorts of fun things. I never thought of it. MagSafe on, like, the new MagSafe, the Puck MagSafe on this could be interesting. I mean, and it actually would be very... Just underneath. When it's on your lap, you just have it underneath. Yeah. It's kind of out yeah. of the way, right? It would be very Apple, actually, to, like, here's a this awesome thing that you can now charge your phone or your computer from, from MagSafe. Uh, downside, when you put it... Oh. When you put it on the <laughs> table and you put the MagSafe Puck under the thing, it's then lopsided. Like, that would be so perfectly Apple. 
Um, but it's it's ever so slightly lifted to make it more ergonomic to type. There you go. You have a five degree lift. <laughs> Where's your? You need you need like your white world. You're, you're doing your your Johnny Ive impression. You need you need you know. Gotta be in that like nebulous matrix loading program where you know. No, my time. walls are dirty. Sorry, <laughs> no perfectly white walls <laughs> in my land. Okay, uh, so something that we've all come across quite a lot uh, and a lot of people that listen to our show come on across quite a lot uh, is interviewing. Uh, so we wanted to kind of do a deep dive into the whole interview process, how you can nail it uh, like a pro. Uh, pro meaning you get money for doing what you do. doesn't mean you're <laughs> any more pro than other pros. Everyone's just a pro once you start getting money. Uh, so uh, we want you to nail the interview like a pro so that way you can be a pro. Um, and it's kind of interesting that we are thinking about talking about this right now because uh, Spencer, for instance, is no longer an instructor. He's now a full-time developer, uh, and he went through an interview process. Ben has been hiring uh, in the past, no longer hiring, uh, but uh, was recently hiring junior developers. Uh, and so we have like two sides of, uh, of the same coin there. Uh, and I myself have also been uh, interviewing for contracting positions. Uh, and it was super interesting because when I was interviewing my wife, who is, uh, also an iOS developer looking to, uh, <coughs> get into the industry, uh, noticed that my interview was completely different than hers. And like my experience, uh, as a developer with 10 years, like there was no technical questions. Uh, it was purely a discussion of like how, uh, the products could uh, move forward and things like that. Uh, so that was a completely different perspective that uh, she almost found enlightening uh, and was very jealous of. Uh, but that's that's something that comes with uh, lots of experience. So uh, we wanted to go through all the different little subtleties that you might run into and what you should kind of uh, keep an eye out when you are interviewing. So uh, Spencer, why don't we start with you since you... Uh, just sure. recently started a new position. What it was interviewing like for you? Yeah. Um, so uh, I am working at a pretty small company. Uh, I think there are, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I've only been there for about three days, but um, I think there are about 20 people in the company total, just to kind of give you a, a you know, a perspective on on the size there. So uh, what happened was one of the co-founders, who is also kind of the lead engineer um, on on the app, um, he is uh, he was the first one to interview me. Um, and really, what it came down to was I um, answered a few technical questions. Um, you know, just what is X thing? Um, you know, uh, what if you were in this situation, what would you do? I'm not sure, like Dimitri, how much detail you want me to give here. Um, but, uh, it was, it was, you know, just a few kind of technical questions just to kind of gauge my knowledge. And then, um, we, we chatted, you know, he talked about the company for a little bit, um, and which probably all in all lasted, uh, the whole thing was maybe, you know, 30, 45 minutes or so. Um, and then he gave me a take-home challenge where it was just a zip file and it had, some instructions to build a, like a basic iOS app that was uh, uh, 
it did some things with core animation. Um, it was really just an animating a progress bar and, and kind of messing with colors. Um, and then it had like a, a Swift playground in there that had a few more like technical questions, uh, more sort of algorithmic questions like, uh, you know, how would you find this letter in this or in, in this string or something like that? I can't quite remember. I could pull it up if you want, but, um, and then a couple objective C questions. So, uh, it, I would say is probably was probably on par with being a fairly technical interview. Uh, although I'd say that it, I didn't feel like I was being grilled as much, uh, maybe as a junior would have, uh, I think it was kind of Dimitri, like what you were saying, where, uh, you kind of, you were already in there. So it was very much, uh, less of like a, an interrogation, more of like a, Hey, let's see more where you're at type of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. although I did have to do a little bit of coding, so not quite at the level of a senior, uh, in that sense, perhaps. Yeah. And it, it, it really does make a difference. I don't know to our listeners, if you listened to last week's episode, but I talked a bit about how I got into development. Uh, and I did mention that for my current, uh, for my current job that I have, uh, I did not really interview for that job. So I got it through connections. It started off as a contracting thing. And then when it came time, when they offered me a full-time position, my interview ended up just being meeting my boss's boss. And that was it. It was just for formalities more than anything. Um, and that does bring up like the different kinds of expectations that uh, you come across. Because when you sign up, when you submit your resume to a company uh, hoping to get work, they're looking at a pile of strangers and they don't really know who any of these people are. So they don't have much to go on to kind of classify who is the best candidate from that group. So admittedly, it's not, it's, it's not a good experience for either side. Like you have the interviewer who doesn't know any of these people and uh, they are trying to look up on the internet like anyone else, uh, how to kind of grade these different individuals. And then you as an individual applying need to somehow come up on top of the rest who uh, are all kind of trying their best. So it, it's very much a tough uh, situation. Um, and it's a lot easier when you can get your foot into that door. Or if you know the people, that's like way easier uh, to begin with. Uh, so if you have any chance to market yourself uh, directly uh, and meet individuals during meetups or happy hours, uh, there are a bunch of Zoom happy hours nowadays, join those, meet people, talk with them, let them know who you are, because eventually they're going to have they're going to know of someone with an open position and they might think of you directly and they might say, hey, Dimitri, I heard that I know that you were still looking for job work. Is that still the case? Do you want to maybe work on this project with me? And there's going to be almost no interview for that whole process. They already know who you are. They're already going to they might have an interview process for formality's sake. So that way they can say, oh, look, we have this candidate and a few others <laughs> that we're not going to even consider, but we're putting them there. So that way the candidate that they're proposing looks so much better. Um, so there's there's all sorts of silly things that go on uh, when that does happen. But it's so much easier to get work uh, in that way. And it's whether you have a ton of experience or not, knowing people and being able to be directly recommended um, is tremendously useful. 
Yeah, every every yeah, job I, I've ever gotten that I really truly enjoyed uh, was basically due to a referral from someone who either worked there or someone who knew that they were hiring and had kind of a connection and sort of then made that introduction. Um, the ones, for the most part, the ones that I've gotten that were, I mean, I've had kind of bad jobs for a variety of, like jobs that I didn't really enjoy for a variety of reasons, but but the ones that, the couple that I can think of that I really did, super didn't really like um, were mostly because I would like, you know, I needed, I needed work. I, I cold applied to a variety of places. I did sort of the normal interview. I got hired and then, and then the job sort of ended up not being kind of what I thought it was going to be, um, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Uh, whereas the ones that I tended to enjoy more are the ones that, that you, you get that like side door access where someone that you know works in the company or someone that you know uh, has some kind of connection to the company. You know, their spouse works there or their cousin works there or whatever, right? And, and they can get you that, that inside connection. Um, and you get to basically skip a bunch of steps. So you get to usually get right in front of the hiring manager's face. Uh, you they see your they see your resume directly because you send it to your friend or your whoever it is, and then they put that resume directly in front of that person's face and say, "Here, you should hire this person. They are my cousin or my friend or whatever. Uh, they're great." And then you know you still have to stand on your own merits. Like they have to look at your resume and make sure that you know you know what you're doing and stuff like that. And you have to there is an interview process, but it is it is often um, it's much better to kind of go in you know, from the side than like, than to do a frontal assault, which is sort of that cold apply to their website, right? Which I found seems to like mostly end up in the bit bucket where it's probably in someone's inbox somewhere, right? The application itself. But I mean, I have a personal story where I literally, I did do that. And then like a month later, I had a friend who I didn't know work there, who worked there, who was like, Hey, we're hiring. Are you still looking for work? And I said, yes. And so then we did that whole side door thing where he, put me directly in front of the hiring manager. And then they, they were like, why didn't, you know, something about this person is great or whatever. And I was like, yeah, just so you know, I applied like a month ago to this exact same job and I didn't hear anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, so then that, that person was like talking to HR. Well, how come I didn't see this person's resume? And you know, it's, it's this whole like finger pointing and whatever. And it's because you just, it just gets lost in the shuffle, right? Like when I was hired, mm-hmm. when I was hiring at Lambda school for, for instructor positions, right? So these are people who are iOS developers, who also either have teaching experience or want to get it. I was getting probably, I don't know, 100, 200, 300 applications for any time we would post that job. Um, And 95 out of 100 of those are going to be anywhere from moderately unqualified to what I will say is laughably unqualified. Like, Like the person has skill in something, but it is not even remotely related to the thing that we posted about. And so they're just, I would assume, they're just kind of like posting their, you know, job applications to everything and kind of hoping for the best, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can respect that. But as a hiring manager, it's like, that's an immediate no. Like, I'm not even, we're, 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 we're going to send you an automated email, thanks, no thanks, and move on. And I have to do that like 95 times out of 100 because most of the people that apply are just not, it's just not the person that we need. Um, so I, I can mm-hmm. I can definitely say, Dimitri, that that your thing about like it's hard to see the signal through the noise as the sort of the other side of it is being the hiring manager. That's completely true. Um, and and I think an effective strategy as a candidate is to recognize that that is basically the truth in most companies yeah. um, and and then uh, attack this from a from an angle that is not that because 
because while that does work, it is it is I would say much more like playing the lottery. Like obviously the odds are much higher than the actual lottery, but like in the sense where you're just sort of like buying a ticket and hoping for the best is kind of how I how I consider like applying to a place by just sending an application through the little web form. Um, because it's probably not going to be seen by anyone, by yeah. a real human, right? It might get ingested by some machine, but unless they have a really efficient way of pushing those those promising candidates in front of human eyeballs, it's just going to end up in a bit bucket somewhere, and no one will ever see it. And you'll and you'll be like six weeks later, like, how come nobody's called me back? I'm a great candidate. I'm the perfect candidate for this job. It's because it's not because not because you're bad that you're like not a good fit. It's because no one ever saw it. And mm-hmm. And that's silly. Like we, we should, as an industry, do better yeah. than that. But that is sort of the state of the world. So if you if you know that and you accept that, then you know you can you can try and attack it from a different angle and hopefully have more success. And yeah, I, I don't can... know. Go for it, Spencer. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say I can definitely attest to that as well. Um, basically, every job in in my iOS development career has been attributed to one person. Uh, I have got all of my jobs from that one person uh, because they either gave me the job initially or they kind of recommended yeah. me for the next job. Uh, so I, I tend to follow this person, which is awesome. Thank you, one person. We all know this great. one person. So thank you, one person, for yes. helping Spencer out. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a great mentor, and uh, you know I, I love working with them. Um, and so you know my dad, for whatever reason, he would tell this to me like when I was way young, like, you know, middle school age, not even like remotely looking for a real job, but he'd always say, that's who, you know, uh-huh. and I'd be like, okay, all right, dad, I get it. Like over and over, like, I don't know why you would say it so much, but, and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll, you know, I'll get a job, yeah. but it's true. And just like Dimitri and, and Ben are saying, it's, it's crazy. You know, when I started looking for a job here, uh, fairly recently before I, had, I had got this one, um, uh, I started sending out, you know, resumes and CVs and everything to to places online and just submitting those those web forms like Ben is saying, I didn't get a single, you know, uh, response back from any human. Uh not yeah. to say that you won't. Um but I think there are other things that you can do, right? And if you're in despair and you're like, "No, I am an introvert. I don't want to do this." Trust me, I think probably all of us are too. Well, maybe not Ben. <laughs> no, I definitely um, am. So you are. I make. I can. Um, I may come across as charismatic and outgoing on this podcast, but, but I, from but the I, safe distance behind my screen. Exactly. Yeah. From from my own home office, where I don't have to actually interact with any of the other humans in real life. Yeah. Right. I we're all like that, and it's it's not you know the most fun thing to put yourself out there and basically say, yeah. "Hey, I'm the best. Hire me." Um, but it's possible, and you can you know. If you don't know anyone, like uh, like Dimitri was saying, go to one of those happy hours or go to like your local Cocoa Heads meetup. There's probably one of those uh, everywhere. And I think, uh, what is the website? Is it just CocoaHeads.com? Or .org maybe? Something, Something like, like that. that. Cocoa Heads. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, they're all over the world. Uh, just kind of, you know, Cocoa developer community that, you know, they do... Um, Meeting, we make hot coffee. cocoa. Yeah, that's, that's all. Yeah, we do. make no. Uh, you know, they'll do uh, kind of talks on on some Apple framework, and it's a cool way to socialize. And sometimes they'll get companies to sponsor it, so you get some food after or whatever. Help sessions, but, things like that. Yeah, help sessions, but it's a great way to network with people that are local. Uh, so that's a good way to kind of you know get your foot in the door of like 
knowing someone if you don't know anyone or, you know, uh, get on some uh, iOS developer Slack groups or, or something, but it doesn't have to be anything hard or at the very least you can, you know, go on LinkedIn and say, hey, I was looking at this company. It looks like you work here. Can you tell me more about it? Like anything is going to be better than you like doing a re reverse cold call to a company and just handing in your resume. So uh, and you have experience. Definitely. Like imagine, imagine all the junior developers who don't have experience that are trying to do the cold exactly. call. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. That's a near impossible for them to even get an audience. If they get an interview, it's sometimes because of a mistake. Like they yeah, thought right. they had the tons of experience and yeah. it's like the, the completely wrong position. Um, mm -hmm. And like no one wins in that scenario. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, it's a bad system. I think in general, being so incredibly a, a solution. like junior phobic right this idea that like are the I, I can't speak for other industries where you know they have new people coming in but but for the coding industry for for programming uh we tend to be just just af like afraid of juniors we, like yeah. very skeptical very um dismissive and i think sort of the root of that of that like dismissive and skeptical sort of behavior that comes out in the process of of the hiring is honestly fear like it's this fear that that this person is going to be this sort of net drag on the team and they're not going to be helpful or productive. And, and the sad part about it is that that's true. That, that generally is true. If you don't give a crap about the people that work for you, if you don't actually invest in their, like the only difference between a senior developer and a junior one is as far as the company is concerned, is that you can usually, you can hire a senior dev, give them no onboarding, give them no help in setting up their environment or, or teaching them how the code base works, and they will just muddle through. Like, it's, it's not great for them mm -hmm. either, and it slows them down, and it takes longer, and it's not good, and it certainly doesn't help, like, morale and all that. But a senior can just sort of muddle through for the most part because they've done it before, because most companies don't have any kind of, they don't have great onboarding, and because you just have enough experience that you're like, I'll just figure it out. But for a junior, they don't have that sort of body of experience to pull from. And so it's just much, again, it's still doable. It just takes a lot longer and is much harder to do when you have no support. And, and I think that, like, it just happens to be that the tolerance level for a company to, to withstand, like, the kind of wishy-washy sort of rough start of a new engineer um, that that threat there's you know seniors experience that when we come into a new company it's just that we get it done in a short enough amount of time that it's acceptable whereas when a junior does the same thing it's like three months you know a month or two or three months later and they're still not quite fully on board it's like why not why are you not like fully integrated yeah we've done nothing we've done nothing to help you and you're not integrated why not and it and but you know because the senior person next next to you got it done in, you know they got on board in three weeks and it's fine but that's the only difference. The only difference is because the seniors have done it eight or 10 times because nobody has, has a great onboarding and they've just figured out a way to muddle through and juniors just don't have that. But this underlying skill is still there, assuming that the junior does have training. Like, you know, if you're literally completely brand new to programming, that's a different problem. But if you're a junior level developer, you have the skill to make things happen. You just need mm -hmm. actual help and actual mentorship to get there. And I think that's the thing that just never dawns on companies. Like they just think they can get senior level work for less money. It's like, well, if that were actually true, why would you hire any of us, right? Like as seniors, why not just hire yeah. a sea of juniors? And people even have even done that. And then of course it doesn't go well because 
they don't have the experience that you're looking for and and they can't architect a whole product necessarily by themselves and then it doesn't go well so like it's this like weird uh collective fantasy that every all, all programming based companies are, ba are are in where they think all of these things are true at once and they're not and and so uh again i feel ironically enough go ahead it's it's probably more expensive too yeah Right, like if if you need to yes. rely on the best of the best to be able to get up and running with your project, you need to pay yes. extra for the two three months that they need to get acclimated to your damn project. Right, right? yeah. Like they they could have gone up to speed so much faster if you had a proper system in place to get them right. up to speed, and then you wouldn't be wasting those three months yeah. of top dollar right like engineering work right. that you had to pay the best person because they were the only one that could right. like just jump into muddy waters like that and something and something that, it's like so unfortunate yeah and something that i've always thought was weird was that that companies will often be like well we have to like our our work is so important we have to have a senior developer right like that we can't accept anyone <laughs> less than that right and like i don't know if this maybe this is I, i'm gonna speak on at this point now i'm gonna filter not just down from programming but down to like ios because that's what i've been doing for the last decade so at least when it comes to ios i'm not gonna sit here and say that i don't have value that i can bring to the table as far as building products building software architecting it in a way that is that makes sense and it's performant like i i have those skills and and those those skills do differentiate me in a way from a junior right so I'm not trying to say that there that there's no value in having a sort of like a varying skill set among your experience level from your developers on your team, but I will say that often companies seem to like way overestimate the uniqueness. I guess is maybe a good way to say it of like the problem space that they're operating in, what they're trying to solve, um, and quite frankly, they don't need a room full of seniors to build most of the things that they ask us to build on iOS, like they need a senior, maybe a couple of them, depending on how big it is, um, to sort of architect, to mentor, to guide, right? To, to see through the vision of what you want to build. And then you could put five or six juniors on it as well. And it would be just as good, in my opinion, as one that had 12 seniors on it, arguably better because I don't know about you, but like trying to manage a team of 12 seniors sounds like a nightmare to me because the the more experience you get and the more the more skill, more opinionated yeah right? the more the more of a pain you are to everyone else because you have like stronger <laughs> opinions and they're they're more strongly held and and it's harder to change people's minds and you end up with lots of baggage and like it's just whereas a junior for the most part you can tell them something and they will be like all right like they'll just sort of or hey you should change it you should do it this way it's better this way or and they'll just accept it they'll just because yeah. because they don't have. 10 years of baggage that they're bringing into that they 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 are still pliable and they still are i think also open to the possibility of learning new things which a lot of seniors often are not so i would argue that like the dream setup is like a couple of seniors to run sort of the team to provide mentorship and to architect the product and then like a, a small bullpen of of juniors to do kind of the daily coding you get, and and as long as your team is aligned in that way, where where the seniors know their place, which is to provide architecture, guidance, mentorship, that kind of thing, but not or people around and all that little sort of mini fiefdom thing, then I think you can you can have a really effective team. It's just sad that that is not most of the time. It's like sorry, seniors only. It's like, but why? You're building like a 
you're building a, a, a an Instagram clone. I mean, not that that isn't complicated <laughs> or, or or difficult, but you're not like sending people to Mars. You're <laughs> you're just building an app with pictures and a newsfeed. Like that, I can teach a junior how to do that. Like that's not yeah, that's not insurmountable. And you have to also be careful not to overload that one yes. senior with so much work yes. that they can't go ahead and guide the project because otherwise they're just flooded. Uh, and then right. your team of juniors doesn't know what to do next because they don't have the experience to be able to pull their own weight right away. Right. So like you are hamstringing your own team by like putting so much work on their plate that they can't effectively yeah. pull through that work. Like you just have to scale it back to a reasonable level. Right. Then they can pull their own weight and you'll get more work done rather than right. just pile that all of it where it's like you have deadlines that were yesterday, right. uh, need to get this done. Yeah. Uh, and then no one gets any work done because you're all you're chasing something from like right. behind. Uh, and that's not really useful to anyone. So based on all of the yeah. kind of realities of, of sort of the modern programming industry that we've laid out here. Uh, Dimitri, what are your like top three tips with all that in mind, right? To, if a junior is, is applying to something like, you know, your wife, for example, is a junior iOS developer and is, is looking for a job, um, her or any of our, you know, former students at Lambda or whatever, what would be like your top three, uh, tips for kind of cutting through some of that nonsense and like, you know, because what I would say is that is that they have what they have is they have time, right? Juniors have time on their hands to be able to sort of hustle and try and get a job, and and that since that's the limiting factor, then I think like you should, as a junior, you should focus on like what is my most effect, what is the most effective use of that time, and blind applying to a thousand places on the web, that's a thing you could spend time on, but maybe that's not the most effective. So like if you were going to give them like you know, what are like your side door shortcut kind of hot tips for, 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 for shortcutting or what I try to say short circuiting, like some of that process, uh, what would you tell them? So the first thing is they need to be good at Git. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's always your first thing. Th that was, a, that, that was a joke for Ben specifically. <laughs> um, so I, if there's anything, especially if you're introverted, you need to build on your charisma and your confidence. I have mm -hmm. seen, as both someone hiring uh, in the past, I have seen people with zero experience but tons of confidence mm -hmm. get very far through the process because guess what? Everyone up until the hiring manager, they're not technical. Right. They, they will put uh, quizzes and stuff in front of you, but they're not going to check it. They're going to see the automated report that comes out of it, uh, if anything. The recruiters... They they are going to go off of confidence. Yeah. Like if you need to get through the noise, you need to be overly confident uh, whether you have the skills to back that up or not. Yeah. Just so that way you can get your foot into the door. So uh, that is something that's so important, not only to get to that spot, but also when you are talking face to face with the people hiring you, you need to be priming with that so that they remember who you are. Right. Otherwise, you're just yet another stranger that right. they happen to be talking to in this process. You need to be someone that they can remember yeah. Memorable uh, in a good way. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> true, in a good way. <laughs> yeah. uh, or a funny way. Funny yeah. way also works perfectly that's fine, uh, but uh, y you don't want to be remembered in a bad way ever because that, that has long-term consequences that are not useful. Uh, but if you can have that confidence, and that confidence, like it can either come from like personal... Uh, sessions of like telling yourself you're awesome every day. Uh, that's one way to do it. 
the easier way to do it is to practice. Yeah. Get good at what you know. You don't have to know everything, but what you do know, get good at it. So that way, if someone asks you a question, you know exactly how to respond to yeah. it. I'm not talking about the nitty gritty uh, algorithm questions of you have uh, a linked list and you need to reverse it. That's not right. useful information for anyone. Anyone who is asking you that question looked up on Google how to interview someone. Yes. That's that's how you get to that point. It's not it's not useful. Uh, if there's a more interesting academic problem, is like oh you have these people in these th- three cities and you want to uh, find the most optimal way of doing it. They're not looking for the optimal answer. If you just give them the answer right away, that whole conversation was pointless and they don't know anything about you. They want to see who you are as a person and how you think um, and like being able to know what you know so that way you have enough confidence where you're not pausing during that process. You know what the next steps that you can kind of explore. You know how to ask questions back. That is going to be so helpful to you uh, during that whole process. So that's like number one. Uh, number I, two, go for it. Can I real quick just make a comment on that? De- definitely. Okay. So I I want to like maybe like have a quick clarification with that okay. uh i i think that's 100 percent true uh one thing i don't want people to kind of like maybe take that as is like bs your way through a technical interview yeah. because uh, it's not gonna work right yeah. right yeah so like <laughs> it's really ineffective for one to me right dimitri's you know saying like you know you you can kind of more or less bs your way up to a technical interview but as soon as you're with an engineer who knows their stuff um, as someone who even has done like uh, fake interviews with students, like they weren't actual, you know, to get a job, I would have students that would BS answers because I'd say, hey, you know, can you uh, tell me X thing about mm-hmm. core data? And, you know, they, if they forgot it and kind of for context, like it had been maybe six months or so since they'd last seen it, I get it. Instead of like, kind of like, being humble in that situation and saying, you know what, I'm not sure. That's such a better answer yeah. than saying, oh yeah, it's this thing. And then just burying yourself six yeah. feet under with a terrible answer. So be confident, but like, don't BS someone technical either is at, at the very least my, my perspective. Yeah. Cause you, you t- interviewers will have a BS meter because they will actually know the things hopefully that they're asking and, you. And so. they also have seen lots, probably they've seen lots of BS answers. So they, not only do they mm-hmm. kind of have like a general guide, they also have heard the ones that are wrong, but popular. And so it's like, you're, you're not going to fool anyone. Like it's, they're not gonna come up with a new BS answer. That they're like, I never heard that. That sounds plausible. No, they're going to, that's the same answer that they've heard. Yeah, a million exactly. times. It's wrong. And they're going to know it. And yeah, I think that's really good advice. And uh, something that I did mention with Fernando two episodes ago BS your way through the recruiter process. Yes. A-OK. Totally. Like, lie totally, about totally. how much... Exp- don't lie, uh, but uh, fudge any numbers that you can. Instead of putting somewhere that you worked for two months, like on an entry, say you worked at there the whole year. Don't put months. Make it as ambiguous as possible, whether you have little, and try to like maximize uh, the amount of like experience and things you did. Put all the keywords the keywords are only yeah. for their search queries. Right. No one is yeah. going to read the query, yeah. the keywords and say, ah, I finally found the one person that is good at uh, <laughs> using AV Asset Writer uh, because they put it as their keyword. Uh, so it's like, That's don't awesome. worry about, about <laughs> spamming that whole process as much as you can. Get through the recruiter. But once you get to the technical interview, 
you can either try to BS your way through. The interviewer's going to be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And immediately go to the next candidate. Right. Like, yep, they're not exactly. going to consider you. They're going to, they're going to, in fact, ignore any other positive answers that you gave for anything right. else. Uh, 100%. And that's not going to help. Or you end up landing the job and you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and you are <laughs> completely, like, out, out of, uh, your comfort zone and every, the weight of the world is going to be on you because the people hiring you had no idea that you were bullshitting. Yeah. Uh, so like that is even worse situation to get through. So don't, don't BS the technical interview, be as truthful as possible. If you're not a fit, but you were forthcoming and you did a good job. Otherwise they're going to remember you. Right. They might yeah. reach out in the future. Always consider that possibility. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much, Spencer, for clarifying uh, that I think yeah. the more diplomatic I, way I, of saying like the BS your way through the through the recruiter part is is not to say like I I think it's important <laughs> that we do to people don't lie right lying is bad you shouldn't do that yeah but but what you can yes. do is you can you can create the best plausible p- version of yourself and what I want and I say yes. that very specifically yes meaning like like you said right maybe you take the months off so it's just the year or whatever maybe it's a little bit less clear on when exactly Round you up. started and finished <laughs> right like you're not lying you're just being a little vague. Um, about kind of maybe how much experience you have or whatever, because it's very easy to get uh, sort of like kicked out of the process. Like it's very easy for people to find reasons to kick you out of the interview process. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this, they don't have the minimum number of months of, or years of experience, or they don't have this or that. So, you know, and that's the thing is, is interviewing is, is a lot like, uh, I, I'm going to use it like a football analogy, which I'm not a sports ball person at all, but like, like the draft, right? Like when you get when 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 uh, sports players get drafted for whatever kind of sport we're talking about, um, usually it's a matter of like there's 300 people that show up, and then like within the first two hours, half of them are gone because it's like, well, you guys are not, it's not a, you're not a good fit, right? And so it's it's culling or cutting, right? You're like you're shrinking and shrinking and shrinking the the pool until you get down to like okay, well, there's 40 of you left, and we're gonna pick 35 of you, so we just got to do those last couple of cuts, and then we're gonna be good. Um, so it's not really about uh, shooting for the stars and being the one breakout candidate that's that's the best possible candidate that they ever could have possibly seen. It's about getting past all of their cuts, right? It's like it's getting through all of those 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 points at which they might go, uh, "You're cut, right? You're for this reason, you're gone." And so I think the the best plausible version of yourself is is a version where you give them as few opportunities to cut you right as possible in that stage of the process but also don't lie like <laughs> you can go too far with yeah, that and you can sure. straight up lie and then that's not going to be good but 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 i think be especially as a junior being a little you know a little vague about some of the things that are on there it, like like Dimitri said they're the recruiter part of it they're not going to look super closely they're not going to mm-hmm. probably catch it and and what you want is you want to get an opportunity to prove your worth, and really for us as developers that comes in the, in the technical. That's when we really prove our worth. So if you can get yourself through the cuts that happened before that, then you stand a much higher chance of actually getting the job than if you are overly specific or overly truthful about yourself in maybe those pre things. So like the the resume the cover letter the all the stuff all the artifacts they have on you before they actually talk to you in person or over the phone or whatever um it's if 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 you give people you can you can be 
too truthful. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you can be like too mm-hmm. specifically truthful about things that yeah. give people an opportunity to cut you for kind of a silly reason. When if you had gotten a chance to actually prove your worth in the technical, they won't care about those things. They don't become problems anymore. They're just like, well, whatever, that's fine. You you have what we need. You have the skills. We're going to hire you. Um, but if you give them an opportunity to cut you for like one of those silly reasons, it's just more likely to happen. And then you just, you kind of don't get as far. Like I've seen so many people on like some of the programming related subreddits and stuff where I applied to 800 programming jobs over the last three months. And like they do those, those graphs where you see like 800 applications leads to like 40% of them go nowhere. And then like some more, they go to like mm-hmm. the next stage and then they get smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, and, and so that's, I think that's actually a, both a good way to describe the process or to visualize the process of interviewing um, and also a good thing to keep in mind when you're doing it because again you're not trying to shoot for the stars and be the breakout that is better than the rest you're trying to get through the cuts you're just trying to make it past the next sort of gate that they put in front of you and that's that's often like you don't have to expend all your energy to to get through uh, that next gate, like by being the best, because all you really have to do is just you're just trying to get through a funnel. Yeah, you have to get through a funnel, and and remember, it is a marathon, not a sprint. So, like, if you spend all your professional right. charisma and energy on this one gate, then you might not have any more for like the next one, and it's and it's a slog. It's a it's a four you know four or five step process. Even even once you get, I mean, my dad has he recently got a new job. He has thirty five plus years of programming experience, um, and one of the interviews he went on recently, it was five steps worth of interviewing. It's like, what? Why are you not just handing him, <laughs> handing him the job? Like the, he has like a, he has like a four or five page resume that is just chock full oh of decades of experience. So that's crazy. So it doesn't matter. You have three months of experience. You have 30 years of experience. Depending on the on the company, they're going to run you through the same stupid gauntlet that they put everyone through that doesn't necessarily do anything to sort of really, really get down to the nitty-gritty. It's just their process, and it's kind of crap, and it just is what it is. So it's it's if you can think about it more as like surviving the cut rather than being the best, I think that's – I feel like it's a better frame of mind, and like it might help you mm-hmm. both – do better and also not be maybe so like drained if it doesn't work out right like if it because it's you're also going to have lots especially with it's junior, a numbers lots game. of failed starts where you like get into yeah. it and then it just like they were great and they love me and then suddenly just crickets they just stop talking to you and it's like that could happen for a huge variety of reasons um where where i work where we were just doing hiring i was geared up and we were like three quarters of the way through some negotiations with people and then we had a hiring freeze and it's just like that just like came out of nowhere for, it's like as far as i'm concerned so it was like oh well okay and so I, I did what i felt was reasonable which is contact all of everyone and say i'm sorry we're on a hiring freeze we're going to keep you in the you know in the hopper and we'll come back and and talk to you again as soon as that firing freeze is over but i don't know when that's going to happen i'm you know i once again i apologize and and i hope to keep in touch with you but that but it, it could easily be that that is what happens. And then the, the people on the job side just don't do that. And then, so you go from like, everything's great and it's sounding great and we're making tons of progress. And then you just don't go anywhere. It just stops. Right. And, and that's, and I think it's very easy 
to be like it's because I'm terrible, right? It's because it's because I, I'm don't have the skills. I'm I'm a junior. It's very very easy to kind of rabbit hole down into that like pit, pit of despair, um, and remember that it's probably because their process is kind of screwed up and they just didn't email you. And and the pro the reason they stopped talking to you has nothing to do with you. It is completely unrelated and is like you know for a whole variety of other reasons. So. Uh, I guess I didn't. And that doesn't that doesn't mean you shouldn't have any humility or uh, be humble yes. in that process. Of course. Of uh, course. Like once Good you get point. to the technical interview, be yourself. Yes. Because you want to get yes. a job where they are happy with you yes. being yourself. Don't be someone that you don't want to be because you're going to be stuck with that. Yes. Uh, in the end. Yeah. Uh, and that is no good for anyone. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they'll be looking for, are you a good cultural fit in the company, right? Are Is, like, your vibe going to match that of everyone else? Like, Are you a decent human being? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, well, not really in any of my jobs, but I've heard, you know, like, if the interviewer is joking around, you can probably joke around a little mm -hmm. bit, too. And that might even just help your chances just because they think you'll mesh. Right with the team or whatever it is, you know, if they're upbeat, then right. Not like you have to but, try to be upbeat or whatever, but only if that's, that's yourself, right? Yes. If they're joking that's and you, you are. never, right. you are point. never used to joking with people. And then you try to joke for the first time. That's not going to land well. No. Right. Uh, Sorry. So... What I meant was like, if you're trying personally, like if you joke around and you're really trying not to, because you're like, Oh crap, this is an interview, but they are, then it's like, it's probably okay. Yeah. Mm hmm. Sorry to kind of derail no, no. the conversation there. Uh, it, this whole thing reminded me of an article I read easily a decade ago about a developer uh, who like was doing the usual thing, um, but then their friend suggested to them, like this doesn't apply to any junior out here, sorry, but it is an interesting story nonetheless. So their friend uh, suggested to them, let's redo your resume and redo your portfolio to make it look like you were the head honcho at all these companies and projects that you worked on. So they redid everything. They put them in a suit, got nice pictures onto a really boring looking resume site. Uh, and they, they fished around for companies that were interested in hiring uh, for that uh, because he knew his stuff. He was a developer. He was a developer uh, and he had somehow become a manager in that whole process, CTO kind of uh, position that never happened but they presented it as that for the case of his thing. And something he noticed was not only did several companies contact him, they flew him out first class to meet their uh, executive nice. board. And they were begging. They weren't interviewing him. They were begging him to join because of all the supposed experience that he had on the resume. Wow. So, uh, like, that that be your best self really applies not to that extent, uh, especially if you don't have the experience to back it up because yeah. that can go sour very quickly. Right. Um, but also be who you are. Don't, if you don't want to be doing that, don't put yourself in that situation because they might hire you because their bullshit detector uh, is all of a sudden not worth, <laughs> not worth anything at that point, because you are suddenly so much higher than them that they're begging you uh, to join. And that works the same. If someone is starting off a tech team, and they are hiring just anyone that they can find. And if you seem so overly confident that you know everything uh, more than others that were more truthful, they're going to hire you. But then you're going to be stuck with building an entire team and project. And that might be something you want to be doing. But it probably isn't also what you want to be doing. So, like, really gauge that as much as you can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good advice um, to so, kind of be, be who you 
who you know you're going to have to be in the job, right? Like, yes. you, and I think that means you can tailor your your uh, resume and everything to the company. Like, if it's like a design focused company, then highlight those yeah. parts of your design experience without lying, of right. course. Yeah, know, but just kind of put that at the forefront. Arguably, you could have a different version of your resume that you send out to every company yeah. you apply for. Because Absolutely. like Spencer just said, right, you're you're again you're not lying, but you're sort of reorienting the way in which you're presenting yourself. Remember that that your resume is a marketing document. It is not a it's not a legal like accounting of your life, your professional life. That's not what it is. And that's not what anyone expects it to be. It's a marketing document. You are marketing yourself to a company. So so think of it again, not as like a legal contract or a legal document. Like a birth certificate or something. It's it's a it's a it's a marketing document. So so there's no, pro I see no problem at all with you know being your best possible self, right? Being maybe a little vague sometimes um, by reorienting the way in which you present information, the ordering of it. And I often tell juniors that they should de-emphasize their professional experience and and emphasize their educational experience. At least in, at least in the case of the people that we've taught, because for the most part they're all adults who have had some kind of career. And then they've gone off and you know, they've engaged at Lambda School or, or like when I worked at the Iron Yard or any of those places where we've taught um, and we've been helping people switch careers. They usually have a career that they have engaged in and then they want to engage in a new career. And so they have both professional experience and they also have educational experience. They're not this, usually in the same field. And they, so they, they want to put like, I was a manager at this place and I worked at this Panera and like, I have, like, you want to show that you are a good worker and that you have the ability to work with others and stuff. So I'm not saying you shouldn't put that on there at all, but maybe you put like the fact that you're a graduate of Lambda School's iOS program at the top of your resume. And then you put your experience next because you're trying to market yourself as an iOS developer, not as a manager of a store that you worked at or whatever it is that you were doing before. I mean, I even have had people mm. who were like firefighters and, you know, careers that are, that are sort of, that have like a, uh, an entire lifetime's worth of career length available to them in that, in that job. And they just chose to, you know, to switch for whatever reason. Um, but, but like change the resume so that it, so that it, it does, it's showing off what you want to be showing off to these prospective employers. Um, and don't feel like, well, I have to do it in some particular way because either that's how everybody yeah. else does it or that's what all the websites tell me to do or or I got to be careful because I can't, you know, I can't be presenting myself in a way that's untruthful. We're not saying to do that, but what we are saying is like like frame it, yeah, frame it right? Get provide a narrative, provide a narrative, a professional narrative in your resume, your cover letter, in the way that you speak to recruiters, in the way that you conduct yourself in your interview you're marketing yourself and like if you i think if you think about it from that perspective and less i feel like <laughs> lots of people will feel this way about the whole process is like it's an interrogation and it's like the police are like you know they're shining their light in your face and <laughs> you're sweating and it's like if they potentially think that you're worthy they might give you a job and like that's you know and that it's very easy to think that way and oftentimes companies even kind of <laughs> position their interviews that way which is dumb but it is what it is um and so you feel like you feel like it's a legal process, and therefore the resume has to be like a specific thing, and the cover list be a specific thing, and the way that I talk about myself in the interview has to be a specific way. But it's not; it's it's a marketing based thing, and it's also a negotiation. I guess my like top tip is that the entire thing 
is a negotiation between you and the employer. That means everything is negotiable. That is your salary. That is your benefits. That's how many days off you get. That's that's your schedule of work. That's that's uh, you know whether they give you a budget for buying a chair for your home office if if you're going to be working from home or like whatever. Literally everything is on the table as negotiation uh, point. Um, and and I found that like changing the way I think about the whole thing into that makes me feel more whether I truly sort of deserve that or not, makes me feel more like an equal in that, in that interaction. And therefore I am more confident because I'm less afraid of being that person with the light in my face and, you know, like being interrogated. Um, and then I perform better because I am more confident and I usually end up with a better situation. And I, and honestly, and I have experience to back that up, but like, honestly, I bet you if I were to sort of take that, understanding and like push it into junior Ben's brain like 10 years ago when I was first starting I'm like this is you can do even now you can do this you can be like this and you can approach it in this way and it might help it might not but it, it might help it might actually make things better um, I feel like it would be affected even then uh, just to kind of help level the playing field and, and make it feel less like I think that's the biggest from what I have heard from juniors is like that's like the biggest fear that they have is going into the whole thing, not knowing what's going to happen and just feeling like I'm just being like constantly grilled about everything about mm -hmm. like in the recruiter and the technical and the HR thing. Like it's all just this grilling. And if you can, anything you can, I think anything you can do to, to not feel that way, even if it's like I put cool colors on my resume or something to, because it feels more me. Right. I don't, I don't follow any particular like format for my resume anymore. I just do whatever I want because it's a marketing document. It's like, if you don't like it, then that's me. So if you don't like it, that means you don't like me and you probably shouldn't hire me. Right. Like, and maybe that's a, that's a, that's a naive position, like position to have. Or like, maybe that's like a, that's not realistic or something. I don't know, but like it's worked for me. And I guess that's all we can do, right. Is provide advice that from our own experience. It, it's yeah. definitely a lot harder too, since we do have so much more experience. So we have a lot more leeway during the interview yeah. process compared to a junior who yeah. is hungry for work. For sure. uh, but, and, and this is the big but there, ask questions during your interview. It's a two-way yeah. street. Yes. You, they're interviewing you for the position as much as you are interviewing them to be your employer. You yeah. want to be working in a place that you would be proud of, uh, that you won't have any issues with. Right. Um, I see a lot of students, for instance, uh, talk about how they're, going to have an interview with Facebook. Mm -hmm. Now, I am holding back as much as I can <laughs> during that uh, interaction to tell them they are a horrible company that uh, like is actively stepping on human rights and things like yeah, that. Yeah. I cannot say that during that interaction because they are sure. earnestly trying to uh, get work there. But th that is your opportunity when you are joining that team uh, and to ask, like, hey, what part of Facebook am I going to be working on? Is it going to be the human rights violation part? Or is it that cool part that, uh, it, it, like, has a potential to change the company from the inside? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm right. not going to make any assumptions about how the whole of Facebook runs. There are many people that I know that work there uh, that don't do horrible things. But they, just as much as we, being Americans up until now, had to be, like, cringe uh, when talking about people that are not American... Uh, like that's part of it. Like you can't, yeah. not everyone can just leave because their employer, some part of their employer is, 
like horrible in some way. But you can use that interview process to learn about what you'll be doing. I use Facebook as a horrible example, potentially, but um, there are opportunities to ask, okay, how big is your team? Am I going to be working alone? Am I going to be working uh, with others? Is there a process in place? Am I going to have a chance to learn right. about things? Am I jumping into a code base that's new? Is right. it old? Ask all those questions. Be Ask anything that you're curious about. Yeah. Because one, uh, you will you will that's your only chance really to interview them. Uh, and two... That is their chance to learn about what is important to you. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you're already doing way more than most of the candidates. Most of the candidates are going to be very quiet behind their webcam, not going to say anything, don't want to like exceed their bounds uh, when like that is not a teammate that you necessarily want to hire. Like some people like to be on top of everyone, all high and mighty. Uh, But most of the people that are putting together a team worth their salt uh, they want a team that's going to be able to pull their own weight. Yeah. So if you are asking questions, like you are already someone that's going to probably, once you join the team, ask a ton of questions and know things more than anyone else on the team. Uh, so that is tremendously useful. So I guess we'll make that our number two. Um, to uh, to be to do well in an interview, you need to you need to treat it as a two way street. Yeah, uh, and make that, it a conversation. And as a hiring Go manager, I learn way more about you by the questions you ask me rather than the questions that I ask you. Because yeah. for the most part, I ask everyone the same questions. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, and there are answers that are surprising. Um, and there's lots of answers that are very expected, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to ask this question and I pretty much know what you're going to tell me. Or if you don't, then like that's itself a, an indicator of, of maybe experience, or whatever. But 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 what is way more useful to kind of differentiate right between one candidate or another is honestly what they contribute that is unsolicited. So like when you ask mm-hmm. a question as a candidate to an employer, that reveals that, like you just said, Dimitri, like a whole ton about like what you value and how inquisitive you are and all that kind of stuff. And and honestly, the the like sometimes for me when I'm hiring the thing that basically differentiates one candidate from another uh and maybe makes one group one person move on and one person not move on is like the fact that they ask questions for one and then also kind of what they asked about like if they asked about like oh that's a really good question that maybe i that i should maybe incorporate that answer into things that i tell candidates going forward because it's stuff that probably everybody would want to know but i wouldn't have thought to tell you right like those are the best that's like the best kind of scenario um and and it's like, well, you're insightful, right? You're thinking about like way more than just being grilled about technical questions. You're you're really thinking about like what's going to be like for me to be here as an employee, and how's that? How am I going to fit in? And I think uh, if you can showcase that in an interview, that really makes you stand. Like we were saying, makes you memorable, right? Makes you stand out in a good way. Um, and and also, there's no better way to like level the playing field than to ask a question from the candidate to the employer that makes the employer squirm a little bit. Like we're, you know, they're kind of in the hot seat. Like it's for one super fun. Cause you're like, ha ha, finally, like we've, the tables have turned and you have to, you have to perform for me. But then also it's really helpful because they either will kind of figure it out and give you an answer that's acceptable or they will squirm and they will not have a good answer or they'll make some, some nonsense. They'll try to BS you, right? Like they, they will, 
be caught off guard and not be able to answer it effectively. And then, and then just like when you do it to them, that is a super strong signal for you that like you get inside about yeah the you're like maybe i don't want to work here because that's a really yeah. important... you get bar- you get bargaining chips yeah like yes. if you ask if you ask a question like okay what happens if the client comes and they say everything is broken right. uh and it needs to be fixed now and it's the weekend and it's christmas and you are abroad <laughs> like if you ask that question and they have no answer for you right. that means a they have no process in place right. to prevent that right uh, and two, if you're really going to be working there, they're going to feel bad about the fact that you seem like you know more about how to have a process right. in place than they currently do. Yeah. Uh, and and if you ask, okay, the offer was for 80 and you asked, no, I want 120. Right. Like, like I'm not even considering yeah. this. Right. Uh, and I was hoping for something. They might consider it. Yeah. They might make a huge jump in salary because it seems like you know everything you know way more than you do that's i was joking to ben earlier when i said the number one thing you should know is git you can learn git in two weeks you can buy a book and go through all the (laughs) all the pieces uh that make git what it is and you can practice that it's easy to practice it's a pain no one wants to do it which is why no one does it which means that if you practice it you can be the best person anywhere that knows everything about git how to fix every little weird problem that can ever come up and then when you ask questions that like see, oh, do you have a uh, code review process in place? Do you have this? Do you have that? You're going to make them feel so bad because I can guarantee you any team you join does not have a process in place. No. Like you're kidding yourself if you if you think that you set one up. Um, yeah. And if you do find the place that does have a process in place, it's a dream made like come true. Right. And they're going to realize it immediately <laughs> because of the questions that you're asking. So you're immediately hired. Yeah. Uh, so like it's, I joke about this constantly, but every student that I have, I force them to go through right. like arduous Git process, not the easy yeah. way out of yeah. uh, going through it, but I force them to do it the hard way because if they can practice that and they can be a little bit confident about that, any team they join, they know more already about Git right. than the senior developers on that team. So I have a enough about Git for me. Analogy for that: <laughs> being the Git expert on your software team is like being a septic tank, septic tank technician, where nobody appreciates or values your skill in that in that particular thing until the, until it comes until up, until the bathroom gets backed <laughs> up, and then suddenly you are like the most popular person, the savior around, yep. right? And and you are everyone's savior. <laughs> like it's like it's a it's a skill that no one really values until basically you know everything goes sideways. And then you were just like the best person ever. So I that I think that's that's a that's like a that's like a secret uh, super skill that you could have that would make you it takes no effort. It takes no yeah. effort at all. Right. I can guarantee yeah. you a, a book on Git is like this thick. It's not even as thick as like the big nerd ranch books. Right. Like you can go through that in two weeks. You can practice it. You can get better at it in your own projects. You can yeah. try different things out be as like exp- uh, as flexible as possible for any situation that come up. Right. Uh, and that kind of leans into another point. Don't have an opinion. Having an opinion is often bad because it's not going to match the opinion of the people interviewing you. Right. If someone asks you a question and you have a one-word answer and that's it, one, that's a super boring conversation, didn't go anywhere, um, and it might be the right answer. But it's boring. Have yeah. the right answer, but also have the the alternative that could easily be considered talk about why the answer has its problems and why the alternative is could be a potential better way in different situations now you might not have the experience to pull this off like especially if you uh haven't played with many alternatives but do know that the thing you know is not the only way to do something uh so acknowledge that especially during the interview process 
don't like if someone is asking you, oh, what are the benefits of Swift versus Objective C? And you have nothing but good things to say about Swift, and then you say Objective C is old and this and that. Like if their <laughs> code base is Objective C, you are off the table at that yep. point. Um, but if you can acknowledge that Swift has its issues and Objective C has its benefits, you might be the only candidate that acknowledged um, uh, acknowledged uh, that fact. Uh, so uh, that is something that you should definitely uh, consider. Uh, as a final point uh, that I do want to bring up, have something to show. Yes. Like I've interviewed yeah. so many people that uh, when I ask, can I see some code you wrote? Nothing. Yeah. They Not even via email afterwards can they show me something yeah. uh, that they wrote. I'm not asking for full access to a code repo. Come to the interview. Well, Zoom is even easier now. But come to the interview prepared to show your screen, prepared to show something. You don't have to like blow every NDA under the water, but uh, have something prepared that you can show that you're proud of, that is well put together, that's like, well-documented, yeah. uh, not super janky in terms of formatting, because that's yeah. like the easiest way to... Uh, to cross someone off the list. If you yeah. have no input into how they kind of uh, code, then it's like, it's a, you don't know who you're hiring yeah. at that point. You That's don't know what they're going to do to your precious code base if you cared <laughs> about it. Uh, so it's like, it's it's really nerve wracking as someone hiring uh, for that. I've been giving stu- uh, yeah. our former students advice on various things. And something that I've been telling them is basically exactly that. that like, and not only for the reasons that you just outlined, but also because... Uh, you don't know what the what's going to look like when you go in as a candidate to be able to show off your technical skills, right? You don't know what they're going to ask you to do, whether it's going to be like whiteboarding, or it's going to be a take home test, or it's going to be nothing, or it's going to like you just it, it you typically don't have any idea what they're going to try and sort of how they're going to assess your technical skills. And so one thing, and and because of that, it can be very nerve wracking because you're like, I don't know what to study, and I don't know how, you know, like I, I'm going to do poorly because they're going to ask me some weird thing that I'm not going to have studied. Um, and that all could be true, but the one thing that you do have control over is you have the ability to, like you just said, Dimitri, walk in with a prepared something to show them, right? A little iOS app that you build or whatever, right? Whatever it happens to be. Um, and, and, and then not only should you bring that, but I think you should push to show it. So even if they don't Definitely. ask, right? Even if yeah. they don't ask, cause they, they may very well not ask to show to, to see something like that you should push to show it to them anyway because to me there are no downsides like you're showing initiative you're showing that you brought something you're ready to talk about it and guess what you're gonna you're gonna be a rock star in those five minutes where you're describing your own code you're gonna be you're gonna sound like the most knowledgeable programmer on the planet because it's code that you wrote that that you're very comfortable with so that's something to keep in mind is it should be code that you wrote it should be code that you're comfortable with you should be like excited yes. and confident and ready to talk about it um so but you have the ability to make sure that happens because you can do all that ahead of time you can you can you can walk in with a guaranteed win because you know what you're what you're going to be showing off and so that shows confidence and and technical ability don't shy away from from uh, sort of extolling the virtues of what you did, even if it's not super complicated, like dig into some network call or like make sure that you get a chance to show off. I'm not just regurgitating a script someone gave me or mm-hmm. or whatever. I, I actually really did write this and I really do know how it works and I really can't explain it to you. Make sure you can get that across in a couple of minutes and then push to make that happen, even if they don't ask. Because And talk about the bugs and how you yeah. fix them. Like it's, yeah, it's not all about everything that you're perfect about. Right. It's how you can improve yeah. and fix something 
uh, as well. And even if there's a bug that you can't fix, bring it up. Say, yeah. hey, this is something that I still don't know about. Right. Um, like I, I would like being a part of a team that I'm not used mm-hmm. to, maybe I can get that experience to kind of, uh, riff off of There's different solutions, like you involve yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. like the only reason an interviewer would ask you about like sorting algorithms is because they don't have the opportunity to see your actual code. Right. They're trying something right. uh, to gauge you against everyone else. Yeah. Immediately. If you yeah. show your own stuff, you are above everyone else. And it's yeah. only going to, you're going to be within the group of the people that showed their stuff. And you are the only ones that are going to go to the next stage. Uh, and even point. if you kind of sucked at the other stuff that they asked you to do, like, you know, for a fact, those five minutes, I'm going to be a rock star, right? So from a confidence beforehand perspective, I feel like even if you feel really nervous about everything else that's going to go on, you have control over those five minutes that you're going to push to try and show mm-hmm. this off. And you know, you're going to be excellent at it. Um, so even if the other parts of it don't go great, like Dimitri just said, right, not only do you know you're going to do well on that part, but also, quite frankly, that is probably going to be the thing that, that they remember the most. Remember right? the most, And yeah. that could very well put you over the edge and get you to, to, through the next cut, right, onto the next step um, where other people who didn't do that, you know, didn't get there. And, and as an interviewer, what I – basically what I always want, what my dream interview is – is somebody who can answer my questions in a way that is, you know, honest and also accurate. Um, but that's a that's like the that's table stakes. That's like the bare minimum. If you can do that, then you're the same as everybody else who who got through the interview. What to me keeps people in the process and, and they don't get cut is I want to be surprised by you in some positive way. And so if mm-hmm. I'm surprised by your performance in some positive way, that is almost assuredly going to push you into the next round and it's going to and when i have to make those cuts when i have to say okay i interview 10 people only two or three of them can advance to the next stage the seven people that get cut i mean depending on how everything goes and whatever people might bomb the interview and then they get cut for that reason but like if essentially let's say that they're all basically the same from like an experience level and they're all basically the same from like a performance in the interview perspective what's going to push people into the next round and not get them cut is that su- positive surprise. If they surprise me in some way, in a positive way in the interview, you're moving on and the other people are not. And it's not that the other person isn't good. It's just that like in some respects, I gotta, I gotta do this. I have, to, I have to narrow the field. And so you gotta give me a reason to keep you basically. And to me, surprising me in a positive way, showing off some cool app you worked on. And like you said, both showing the accomplishments the trials and tribulations of solving bugs and maybe even asking for advice on a bug that you can't solve. All those things would surprise and delight me in a positive way and show me that you're a real developer. And, and I certainly would hope that 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 is the goal of interviewers, right? Is to, is to find good, competent developers, no matter where they come from, no matter how young or old they are, what gender they are, what race they are. doesn't, you want to find someone you want to work with. You want with. to find someone you want to work with. Ultimately. Yeah. And and it should none of those things should matter, but what does matter is sort of your your confidence, your your charisma, those kinds of things and your and just your kind of relatability when it comes to code. And so, if you don't feel confident about being able to be relatable in those silly little contrived examples they always have you do, bring your own code with you and then and then at least you know in that 5 minutes that that you're that that's coming across. 
On that excellent note, this week's episode is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you'd like or put them in a smart stack. Sticky widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. Here's a pro tip for code completionists. Need a quick shopping list, but it's hard to access your phone while wearing a mask? Just put a uh, widget in the today view and swipe over from the lock screen. It couldn't be easier. Sticky widgets is a free download on the app store and additional font and color options are available for one time and app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS app store today. So now that we went through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Ben, it's been a few weeks. Can you remind us of the prompt? All right. So uh, last week's winner is actually Joel Grimmer, and his answer is, uh, if there's a technical name for it, I don't know what it is, but I believe the crash would occur because the twin for an instance of person could be deallocated before the description is read, since the object holds a reference to its twin but doesn't own or retain it. And that is the example that we gave uh, a couple weeks ago, where um, we have a class person, and that class has a, a way to make twins where you can have two person objects be twins of each other. Um, and the, the concern there was uh, if you do that, if you make them twins and you make these relationships and these references, um, depending on how you design it, you could end up with uh, some either um, some, some errors or some crashes in the code that you've got. So the answer to the, the question for that <coughs> prompt is the unknown reference will crash if it no longer points to a valid instance, even though it's being used as an optional. Using weak instead will prevent this crash, but may lead to less performant code in some circumstances because the weak references will need to be managed behind the scenes, whereas unknown references do not. So that's kind of the major difference between unowned and weak, um, is that unowned is basically a use at your own risk kind of scenario. So it can cause crashes, even if that sort of underlying thing is an optional, normally optional to kind of protect you from a crash. Uh, in this case, it will not because it's unowned, whereas a weak one is, is safer, but the downside, like we said, might lead to certain performance issues depending on what you're doing. This week, we have a new prompt. Uh, so we've got, uh, you'll see it if you're listening to the podcast, we've got it as your chapter art, and if you're watching the video, you'll see it on screen. Um, so we've got an uh, array, we've got a reference to an array, um, and then we have a variable that is is a, a copy of that array because arrays are value types. Um, and so the question here is if we take, create the first array, we then create the second array, which is just a copy of the first one. And then we, on the, that second array, we try to add a new element. Um, basically what key API allows for Swift arrays and dictionaries to implement the copy on write technique. And so again, look at the prompt and kind of see what we're doing there. And if you can let us know what key API is used for that. Go ahead and tweet us, uh, tweet at us with the code completion hashtag. And if you're right, we'll shout you out in a future episode. And it's a very useful technique to build your own types that are copy on write, um, which is not automatic. So uh, you do need to use that technique. It's part of the Swift language. Happy day. So uh, that brings us to compiler error. Uh, and I'm going to make this a quick one since we are running long. So today's compiler error is uh, an interview <clears throat> for both uh, Ben and Spencer. Uh, so we have our classic interview questions. Let me start a screen recording. Oh, not sorting. Oh, man. 
So uh, we have uh, a few uh, sorting algorithms here uh, for you to uh, figure out, one of which is completely bogus and the other which are equally bogus but actually real. Uh, so let's go through them. Okay, so neural sort makes use of a convolutional neural network to sort at O to N speeds on average, though the worst case can make uh, can take quadratic time. So we've got some novel sorting algorithms here. We have spaghetti sort uh, is capable of sorting its content contents at O N speeds, even in the worst of cases, but requires a quadratic amount of memory in the process. BOGOSORT uses the power of random shuffling to achieve a computational complexity of ON in the best of cases, but is unfortunately not stable in the process. And named after Tim, TIMSORT is used in Swift 5 to perform sorting needs in arrays, which is especially tuned uh, to reversing the order of an already sorted collection. So uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Ben. So these which all one do you think is fake. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Wikipedia page for this. It is awesome. That's that's fantastic. I'm going to look that up uh, when we're done. Um, so, uh, again, they all... I just immediately am, am drawn to Tim Sort because it just sounds... Of all the bogus ones that are here, that sounds the most bogus. But it also just seems just bogus enough for it to maybe be true. I, I don't know. I, it's, this one is going to be probably a shot in the dark. Um let me just look and see if there's anything that sticks out as far as maybe as being more bogus than something else. But the random shuffling one is pretty funny that it's, it's <laughs> ON in best of cases, but it's not stable, <laughs> which means it's worthless. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go with my gut and, and based on the one that I just sort of was drawn to immediately, I'm going to say that Tim sort is, is fake. It's, it's the, that's the compiler. Okay. So uh, when a sorting algorithm is stable, you may not know this as a senior developer uh, or as a junior developer or any developer because we don't deal with sorting algorithms on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that means that if two items are sorted, but they are different, uh, and then you resort the, the array, it might shuffle those items ah, around, okay. even though if they were correctly sorted or not. Uh, so BOGO sort uh, may mix up things that were in a certain order, but still sorted properly. Okay. Um, so not broken, just so, not not uh, deterministic every time to the sort of the same yeah. outcome. Yeah, there's not necessarily a worst case that's listed or a typical case. Right, it's right, just right. the best case. Got it. Okay. I'm still going with Tim uh, Sort. That just sounds super <laughs> fake. So, Spencer, what do you say? Is there a Spencer Sort that I should have added? <laughs> uh, no, I, I would be the person you would never call for sorting, for sure. Um, can I get a clarification here? It depends. Are are these sorting <laughs> algorithms all like used in iOS or are they just general sort algorithms that could be used in potentially different places than like Apple hardware? In general. The only specific one to iOS that may or may not be true is the Tim sort. Since the it's Tim sort. Okay. I was going to say like the neural sort is like, I guess I could see that running on Apple hardware, but like using a neural network and you know, all of the machine learning, uh, hardware that we have on on you know apple socs and stuff but that felt a little bit weird to me uh yeah everything else i i don't know i 
I kind of want to go with four as well, and I'm not quite sure if this is true, but I was working on something to like sort pixels in an image, and it, this was years ago at this point, and I didn't do a ton of research, but it's uh, from what I read, and at the very least what I remember, it kind of seems like Swift will pick out, I, I mean, I guess it says it's used in Swift, not it's the, you know, form of sorting arrays. Um but I, I want to say that it would actually pick a, like an algorithm based on maybe the size of your array or something. So uh, I, I could definitely be wrong there. I think Swift we just five. You, so five it's, one it's more chance changed. of getting this right. Like, <laughs> it just seems so crazy. I, I, okay. All right. All right. Um, then I'll go. Uh, yeah. No, I, I swear it's going to be something like, the time or space complexity is going to be off mm -hmm. in one of these yeah. or something. I wasn't that mean this time. Okay, good. You weren't? Oh, okay. Um, I'll go with neural sort. I'll, we'll do something different than, than Ben. Bold move. Okay, so let's, let's go through the ones that you did not uh, pick. So let's start with number two. Uh, spaghetti sort is a real sorting algorithm. So that one is true. Uh, good job there. Uh, so specifically, it will run... Uh, it will copy the array to uh, n cores. So if you have mm -hmm. five things to sort, you have five cores. Uh, and then each individual core will do uh, n operations. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. like distributed, it's n-o-n every single time. Right. It just uses an amount of memory per core because you need to duplicate right. the array every single time. Right. So not at all practical, uh, but very fast. Um, so that one is true. Uh, Bogus sort uh, is also a sorting algorithm. You randomly shuffle. And in the best case, in one shuffle, you have your uh, sorted <laughs> array. Uh, in the typical yeah. case, I forget what the complexity is, but it's just like under typical random sorts, it's going to take this many times until you get uh, the correct uh, thing. Uh, but in the worst case, it's just infinity. Uh, so that is right. a minor downside Ooh. in terms of uh, sorting your, <laughs> uh, your uh, array. Uh, so with that out of the way, let's go to number one. So Spencer thinks this one is a uh, code completion. Uh, neural sort makes use of convolutional neural networks uh, to sort at O2n. And I said that I wouldn't uh, be mean with the complexity. And unfortunately, uh, I was mean because I completely made up neural sort. Uh, so this one is the compiler error. Good nice. job, Spencer. Nice. Uh, nice. So neural that sort is not a guess. thing. I double checked on Google, so I have that to back me up. Not yet, anyway. uh, but it, yeah, I would assume it kind of you just like have a neural network and you just kind of give it your data and it spits out something that's almost sorted, and then you kind of sort again just to make sure it's actually sorted yeah. because how can you trust it otherwise? Sure. Um, but yeah, I just kind of made that up. I thought it would be cool to have a sorting algorithm based off a neural network, which is all the hot thing. I should have used blockchain too. That would have been another. Yeah. <laughs> uh, equally, equally good uh, name. Yeah. So that means Tim uh, Sor and that is leads real. That means Tim Sor is real. Uh, I, it's named after Tim, uh, and it is in fact used in Swift Five right. uh, to sort arrays. Uh, so anytime you sort something, you are using a Tim Sort. Uh, and I forget wow. why. Like, there's actual reasons why this is a good sorting algorithm, uh, especially if uh, things are sorted properly and you need to uh, sort in the reverse. It does so in like a few passes. Uh, which is much better than most uh, sorting algorithms. So there's lots of good uh, decisions. Uh, Spencer, what you brought up about how, uh, depending on the size, uh, different algorithms would be used. 
I'm not sure about sorting, but I do know NS array uses that for its actual backing. Like in some circumstances, oh, it's okay. a plain array. In others, it's uh, pieces of memory that are not even connected. And sometimes it's a circular buffer. Mm. All sorts of shenanigans go under the hood that it behaves like an array, but it's not really an array because if you need to insert one thing into an array of a million things, that's not really performant, but it can be if you just yeah. not use an array. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed our uh, our interview-themed code um, compiler error there. I thought it was apt for the discussion. Yeah. Uh, and that brings us to our closing. So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. Uh, and feel free to tweet at us if there is a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. Uh, it's really your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to, hope to grow a healthy community around everything that we discuss. So once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter. Ben, who is at Ferris Guy, that's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-I, for, both for joining me this week. Uh, my name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunil. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.